One. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Inside You, the college sports podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Roderick, and we are back. It is Monday, November 26, 2018, and after another huge weekend of college football, wrapping up the final games of the regular season, we have the conference championship games this weekend. In basketball, we had the second half of Feast Week, so a lot to get into, so let's get started First things first, as always, I was right and I was wrong. I was right that Mississippi State would defeat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. Final score there, 35-3. Four ejections in the second half following a fight in the end zone off of one of the scoring plays. Probably the most notable thing coming out of that game. Nick Fitzgerald for the Bulldogs. Three touchdowns, two running, one passing. Mississippi State at 122 rushing yards in the first quarter alone. Ole Miss, on the other hand, 0 for 10 on third downs. Their season's over since they are bowl ineligible, not just because of the record, but also because of their being receiving a postseason ban from the NCAA. They finished with a 5-7 and seven record, 1-7 and seven in Matt Luke's first year as head coach with that interim tag removed. Interesting to see what Ole Miss does going forward. Greg Sankey afterwards saying that he'd like to meet with both schools' athletic directors to discuss how to make the game safer as the game has become increasingly hostile in recent years. Then I was wrong that Washington State would defeat Washington in the Apple Cup. Final score there, 28 to 15, very much a snowball going into the game. Part, the Huskies band did not end up making the trip to Pullman after one of their buses flipped over trying to make that trek. The Huskies win the Pac-12 North. They're going to face Utah in the Pac-12 championship game this weekend. Miles Gaskin, 170 yards rushing and three touchdowns for the Huskies, he had 200. The Huskies had 258 rushing yards total for the day, and with this upset, the Pac-12 was now officially out of the college football playoff race. That fourth spot will either come to likely Alabama, assuming they lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game, or Oklahoma or Ohio State. Although we'll get back into that a little bit later. Then I was right that Boise State would defeat Utah State. Final score there: 33 to 24. Brett Ripien, 310 yards passing. Alexander Madison, 200 yards rushing and three touchdowns. They're going to the Mountain West Championship game where for the second year in a row, we're going to see Boise State take on Fresno State. And because of that win, Boise State will host the Bulldogs. We'll get onto that on Wednesday's Group of Five episode. Then I was wrong that Navy would defeat Tulane. Final score there, 29-28. to Justin McMillan, 4-1 as the starter now for Willie Fritz's team. He had four touchdowns total, three rushing, one passing. And led a crucial 71-yard drive, which led to the two-point conversion that gave the Green Wave the win. They're bowl eligible now. Navy, consequently, only had 117 rushing yards. And Willie Fritz's defense, which has really been underrated all year, now with Justin Miller leading their offense, looks like a completely different team. Very interesting to see what they do going forward next year and in their bowl game. Then, I was right that Appalachian State would defeat Troy. Final score there, 21 to State. With this victory, Appalachian State won the Sunbelt Eastern Division. They're going to host Louisiana in the inaugural Sunbelt Championship game. Appalachian State jumping out to an early 21-0 lead. Zach Thomas, three rush, three touchdowns total, two passing, one rushing. And Neil Brown's Troy team, although they were able to put up points on the board, was unable to close that early gap. Real storyline here being both head coaches' future. Scott Satterfield obviously jumped onto the stage early in the season with their almost upset over Penn State. Neil Brown's been linked to a number of jobs in the last two years, probably the most Intriguing one right now being the Louisiana job. It looks increasingly like Jeff Brown is not interested 
in returning to his alma mater. Looks like he's going to stay at Purdue. And Neil Brown was having grown up in Kentucky and having played football at Kentucky, likely the favorite now to get that job. But we'll continue to monitor that. Then I was wrong that Houston would defeat Memphis. Final score there, 52-31. to Daryl Henderson continued to put through a solid year for the Tigers, 170 yards rushing, two touchdowns, and he breaks the American Athletic Conference's rushing record. They're going to face UCF in a rematch of a game played earlier in the season in the American Athletic Conference championship game. Also, for the Cougars, a little bit of concern following Ed Oliver not finishing the game due to re-injuring his knee. Going to be very interesting to see what happens there. As of yet, there's been no upset. The only thing was head coach Major Applewhite saying that he re-injured his knee. That's been plaguing Oliver all year. Interesting to see if he plays in the bowl game for the Cougars. And if you're Memphis, following your heartbreaking 31-30 loss, to UCF earlier in the season. You have to be licking your chops to get back at this team. And with Mackenzie Milton having suffered a horrific injury in the game against South Florida this last weekend, you have to like the Tigers' chances to pull off the upset there and end UCS unbeaten streak. Then I was right that Texas A&M would defeat LSU. Possibly the craziest game of the season so far. A whopping seven overtimes, 146 combined points. That's the most in FBS history. A&M winning finally 74-72 following a two-point conversion. A&M's now finishing the season 8-4 and four in Jimbo Fisher's first season. Similar to predecessor Kevin Sumlin, the Aggies still struggle to win that ninth game. LSU, on the other hand, they're 9-3, and 5-3 and three in conference. It'll be very interesting to see what their college football playoff ranking is after this loss. They've been in the top 10 even with two losses for most of the season. Following this loss, it'll be interesting to see where they land. They're likely in store for a very nice bowl game. And the real story coming after this being AM being fined for having stormed the field and some of the other off-the-field events that have left a bit of a black eye on what should have been an otherwise remarkable game. So very interesting for both teams. Certainly both teams struggled this year. Both teams had their high moments and their lows. But I'm excited to see what both these head coaches do going forward for their programs. Then I was wrong that Pitt would defeat Miami. Final score there, 24-3. to Travis Homer, 8 carries, 168 yards. Kenny Pickett, conversely, for the Panthers, 14 of 22 passing. Pitt, 1 of 15 on third downs. And even with them facing Clemson in the ACC championship game this weekend, Pat Narduzzi has to be unhappy with his squad's last performance before what's going to be the biggest game of the season for the Panthers. Then I was right that Alabama would defeat Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Final score there, 52 to 21. The Crimson Tide were, in fact, able to cover their 24-point spread, even with only being up 17-14 to 14 at halftime. Two attack of Valoa continues to impress. Six touchdowns total, five passing, one rushing. And it's very hard to see him not winning the Heisman at this point, barring just an absolute meltdown in the SEC championship game against Georgia this weekend. Then I was wrong that Michigan would defeat Ohio State. Final score there, 62-39. to 39. Certainly the victory that Urban Meyer needed to silence his critics and doubters, given all the things off the field and with his health that kind of have plagued the Buckeyes this season. Even with them amassing an 11-1 record to finish the season, the loss to Purdue coupled with just the many times we've seen mild double over and pain this year really had plagued this Buckeyes team. But Dwayne Haskins and co., six touchdowns, 567 yards on the number one defense in the nation. And again, Ohio State proves that they are the better school in the game. That means now that this is Harbaugh's fourth time losing to Ohio State. He
He has yet to defeat the Buckeyes in his tenure at Michigan as head coach. Still, though, a very successful season so far for Harbuck's team. If they can pull off a nice win in a big bowl game, which they should still be in line for, that will go a long way. But still going to have the people saying that he cannot win the big game. Looks like now we're going to have to wait till next year to find out. Then I was right that Virginia Tech would defeat Virginia. Final score there, 34-31 in overtime. A 42-year-old's field goal, ceiling deal. Bud Foster's defense, which has been criticized all year, coming up with the key fumble in overtime to seal the deal for the Hokies. Virginia Tech now is playing Marshall this weekend to try and keep their bowl streak alive. That game was scheduled after one of Virginia Tech's earlier games in the season was canceled due to Hurricane Florence. Then I was right that Oklahoma would defeat West Virginia. Final score there, 56-59. Oklahoma had two defensive touchdowns, both coming off of fumbles from Will Greer. They're going to face Texas in the Big 12 championship game. And this was a very interesting moment for this Mountaineers team. Certainly a lot of questions about Dana Holgerson's future there with Wilger leaving and the fact that he's been linked to that Colorado job. Interesting subplot here. David Beatty, who just faced Texas in their game last weekend, is going to assist the Longhorns in their preparation for Oklahoma this weekend. And another big win for the Sooners, which keeps them in the running for a college football playoff spot. Then, finally, I was right that UCF would defeat South Florida. Final score, they're 38-10. South Central Florida, 11-0 on the season. They have finished with an undefeated regular season record for the second year in a row. Unfortunately, for the second year in a row, they missed out on one game due to a hurricane. The big story here being Mackenzie Milton's injury. Although there has been some good news that he was able to take some steps, a little clear on what parameters those steps did occur, but certainly a huge loss for the Golden Knights. Our thoughts and prayers are with Milton. Still unclear what the exact nature of his injury was. Family and head coach Josh Hoople have been very tight-lipped on the extent of the injury, but I can tell you from seeing it live, it did look gruesome. Very unfortunate to see such a great player have their career cut short because of something like this. We'll see. continue to monitor it where it goes from here, but... If you are Central Florida, you have to be a little bit optimistic about Daryl Mack Jr.'s efforts in relief. The score was 10 to 0 at the time of excuse me, 7 to 0 at the time of Milton's injury. On the following play, right after that, the Golden Knights kicked a field goal, making it 10-0. And then Daryl Mack Jr. was able to put up 28 points for the Golden Knights. And remember, he has pre-Vic experience filling in for Milton against Eastern Carolina earlier in the season. So it's not exactly like they have some untested guy to lead them in the AAC championship game this weekend. Will they take on an upstart Memphis team? But certainly, definitely a moment for pause there. Want to continue to wish Milton, his family, and the rest of the Golden Knights team well in what will be a very difficult few months going forward. And we hope for a quick and speedy recovery because he is a lot of fun to watch on the field. Now, one last game that I did not preview, which I want to discuss. Hawaii taking on San Diego State. The Rainbow Warriors winning that one 31-30 in overtime. San Diego State entering the game 17.5-point favorites. And I just want to talk for a minute about a couple of controversial calls in this game for the Aztecs offense. The first one being a fourth and inches where rather than just run up the gut or try for a quarterback sneak, the Aztecs decided to attempt a sweep. The There was a miscommunication between quarterback Christian Chapman and the running back resulting in the Aztecs unsuccessfully converting the fourth down. That was in the Rainbow Warriors red zone. And since they only ended up losing by one point in overtime, very much could have been the difference maker there had they either gotten that 
or kicked a field goal instead. But the real perplexing call here came following the Aztecs scoring on their first play of overtime. Jawan Washington getting the ball and gutting the Rainbow Warriors defense for a score immediately. Afterwards, the Aztecs had to decide whether they wanted to go for one to tie the game, sending it into a second overtime, and or go for two and try to win the game. Now, for full discretion's sake, kicker, their kicker had missed an extra point, excuse me, a field goal attempt just earlier, which would have given the Aztecs the win. But rather than send him out again, even with him having made a 54-yard field goal earlier in the game, Rocky Long decided to go for two. On the first play, two-point conversion attempt, the Aztecs were called for too many men in the backfield. However, they got billed out because a Hawaii Rainbows Warrior was called for passing interference. The replay may have looked like, may suggest, in fact, that the Aztecs were billed out on that play. But the real cause for concern was the second two-point conversion they tried after that, a back shoulder throw to their tight end Warrington really not a playable ball for him a very risky throw given that it's really one of those hit or miss plays it's a play you call on first down maybe second down when you know you have another option but for them to go for it with the game on the line a very risky call for Rocky Long's offense and with that play falling unsuccessful the Rainbow Warriors picking up the win there they're now eight and four on the season the Aztecs conversely are seven and five now I want to talk a little bit about two-point conversions because we've seen them a lot this college football season. Firstly, I like the two-point conversion call if you either don't trust your defense or if you are a team on the road, all of the odds are against you, and you think that it's best to just try and put the game away rather than give the home team, which has the advantage of the crowd, likely the momentum, and just kind of the intensity in their favor there. But in this case, this was a home game for the Aztecs, they had the crowd with them. Momentum appeared to be shifting their way following what was their most prolific offensive play of the game, really following an earlier pass to start the game for the Aztecs. They had crawled their way back after being down by 10 points at one point. And then for the game to end like this, really just, in my opinion, a bad call. Again, not the road team in this case. They were the home team. They had the crowd in their favor. They could have easily tied it, gone into a second overtime, and likely worn down the Rainbow Warriors. But instead, for them to take such a hit or miss play call, very risky. And really the big cause for concern being that Rocky Long's reasoning for calling the play was basically they had been working on it all season and we should try it out. Not the time to do that, especially with the Aztecs already having secured a bowl and really just playing for the hopes of getting into a bigger bowl. With that loss now and the earlier losses to Nevada and UNLV, the Aztecs will likely be relegated to a bowl far from San Diego meaning it will be very difficult for their fans to make the trek there. So not the way you want to end the season, but certainly it does happen in sports all the time, and that is part of why we watch the game. So that leads us to probably the biggest point of debate coming out of this weekend, which is who should fill in that fourth spot in the college football playoff. Now, full discretion, if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game this weekend, Likely, we'll see Georgia and Alabama both make the playoff as the number one and four teams. Then we'll see Notre Dame, which has already finished its season since they are an independent school. They don't play a conference champion as the third team. And then assuming Clemson gets the job done with Pitt, we'll see them be the fourth team there. But if Alabama does, in fact, beat Georgia like they are favored to do right now, this will come down to Oklahoma or Ohio State for that fourth spot. Oklahoma right now, they're 11-1. and one. Their sole loss is a 45-48 loss to 
Texas in the Red River shootout. That loss occurred at a neutral site stadium. And since then, Oklahoma has been spotless. Ohio State, on the other hand, also 11-1. Their sole loss coming to Purdue, 49-20. Certainly looking at their non-conference schedules, you have to give Ohio State the slight edge. Tulane, Oregon State, and TCU versus FAU, UCLA, and Army. Certainly a question of whether Army now with a chance of going 10-2 or TCU at the time is a better win. But I still think Ohio State gets the slight edge. Also, Tulane there, certainly better on paper than FAU or UCLA, even with Oregon State being very much a loss this year. But looking at going forward, Ohio State now is taking on Northwestern. They're coming off a 24-16 victory over Illinois, but they are still 8-4 for the season. Still, though, definitely coming off a better win this past weekend, beating Michigan 62-39, putting 62 points up on the best defense in the country. But Oklahoma, on the other hand, gets the opportunity to avenge their sole loss of the season against Texas. They're coming off a very impressive 59-56 victory on the road over West Virginia and Heisman Trophy contender Will Greer. So looking at going forward, you would think that Oklahoma has the better opportunity of improving their chances with a win this weekend than Ohio State team. But with that still being said, certainly Ohio State's victory over Michigan last weekend was more meaningful. And we still have to remember that Oklahoma has still been favored above Ohio State in the rankings as of this far. We'll see if they manage to leapfrog them in the rankings released tomorrow night. But unlikely to see Oklahoma drop given that they also won this weekend. Now, I will say that both of these teams face similar criticism in that they have very dynamic offenses, but the defenses are question marks. But it's hard for me to imagine Oklahoma not getting in, assuming they do end up beating Texas this weekend, especially if they're able to do it in impressive fashion. So I think they'll end up being that fourth team there. However, this is all contingent on whether Alabama gets the job done with Georgia this weekend or they lose. If they lose, this is all moot. But that's going to be the storyline coming out of this weekend if both teams are successful and Alabama in turn gets the job done. So moving on to I was right and I was wrong basketball edition. I was right that Wisconsin would defeat Oklahoma final score. They are 78 to 58. Dimitrick Trice, 25.7 of eight for three pointers. Then I was wrong that Auburn would defeat Arizona final score. They're 73 to 57. Bryce Brown, 19 points. Malik Dunbar, 15 points for Auburn. Brandon Randolph, conversely, 18 points. Justin Coleman, 16 points. Really, this game was close until Auburn went on a run. And Sean Miller's team was really never able to claw back from that point. Auburn now, with Tennessee's loss, looking like the best team in the SEC. That I was right that Michigan State would defeat Texas 78-68, to the final score there. Cassius Winston, 20 points, 10 assists. The Spartans now winning the Las Vegas Invitational. And with Cassius Winston playing like we're accustomed to seeing him, looking like very much a, one of the top teams in the Big Ten following that opening season loss to Kansas. Then I was wrong that UCLA would defeat Michigan State. Final score there, 87-67. to 67. Cassius Winston, 19.7 assists. I would, And again, those two performances in the first and second rounds of the Las Vegas Invitational really showing us what this Michigan State team is capable of. 
I still don't think they have the talent to compete with the best teams in the country, but that doesn't mean they can't win the Big Ten this year. Then in the other opening round match of the Las Vegas Invitational, I was wrong that UNC would defeat Texas. Final score there, 92-89. to Kerwin Roach the second, having 32 points, 7 assists, and 6 steals for the Longhorns. Conversely, Cameron Johnson for the Tar Heels, 16 points. Luke May, 11 points. And Roy Williams' team is upset by an unranked log for Shaka Smart's team pulling off the upset there. Then in the final consolation game of the Las Vegas Invitational, I was right that UNC would defeat UCLA. Final score there, 94-78. to Cody White, 19 points and 8 assists. Luke May, 16 points, 8 rebounds. And Steve Alford's team continues to show that they just don't really have the horses to get the job done. And likely that his time in Westwood is numbered. I'm giving myself a 1-3-2 and two record here, given that while I did call Michigan State over Texas and UNC over UCLA, I predicted both those teams. I predicted Michigan State, excuse me, I depicted UCLA to win their first round game, and I depicted you picked UNC to win their first round game. Since both teams lost, although they did end up playing the teams that I picked them to, at some point I'm giving myself a tie rather than a full victory there. So that moves us along to the top stories in college sports right now. With the new AP Top 25 coming out, no surprise, Gonzaga is the number one team in the nation, although they will miss Gino Crandall, who suffered a fractured hand in practice on Sunday. He's going to be out for four to six weeks. Also, UVA now number four. Certainly a bit of an overranking for me for this Who's team, given that the zone was exposed by Dayton in that win, even with them being able to pull off the win there. Then, looking at them right now, I think Michigan and Tennessee's rankings should be flip-flopped. Tennessee coming off an 81-7-81 loss to Kansas, although still very impressive team. Likely the SEC comes down to either them or Auburn this year. Now, moving us over to the net rankings. The net rankings, if you're unaware, replace the RPI as the selection committee's most important measurement stick going into selection Sunday this year. These new rankings factor in both the location of the victory and the margin of victory. However, they do have some issues, one of them being that you're only credited for a margin of victory up to 10 points. After that, it just counts them all as the same. So you're not really given any more of a bump if you win by 20 points versus 30 points, regardless of the opponent. Those rankings, conversely to the AP Top 25, have Ohio State number one, Virginia two, Texas Tech three, Michigan four, Gonzaga 5, Duke 6, Michigan State 7, Wisconsin 8, Virginia Tech 9, LMU 10, and then Kansas 11. For Kansas to be second in the AP Top 25 and then 11th in the net ranking shows you the disparities in these two rankings. Now, I will say that these are just the initial rankings and it'll be interesting to see how they bore out. But for that disparity to be so wide, certainly a cause for concern given that these are the most important rankings that the committee is going to consider. Then, given that we are on the first Monday following the ending of the college football season, the coaching's carousel is in full swing. So far, not really any surprises. Larry Fedora is out at UNC following a 2-9 and nine campaign, 1-7 and seven in league play this year. He's 45-43 and 43 in seven seasons. And it has already been announced that Bubba Cunningham, UNC's director, has hired Mac Brown to be the Tar Heels' new head coach. Mac Brown has previously served at UNC as their head coach prior to ending up at Texas. He's already linked to be trying to hire Gene Chizik and Cliff Kingsbury as his new coordinators. 
Certainly for Mac, it was never a question of talent when he was at, at UT, more a question of X's and O's. If he's able to get these two coordinators, I could see UNC's team turning around fast, especially if they are able to get win the Kelly Bryant sweepstakes. However, you do have to wonder with UNC bringing him back, whether this turns into a case of Bobby Petrino at Louisville part two. But if he's able to get those two guys as coordinators, I don't think that will be a problem. And I think it could be a great hire for the Tar Heels, similar to Kansas' decision to hire Les Miles. This is a well-known, respected name in coaching. He can assist your program, get out of its funk, and get back to sunnier times. Then, similarly, Cliff Kingsbury is out at Texas Tech, 35 and 40 in six seasons. However, this is his third straight losing season there. He was 5-7 and seven and 3-6 and six in 2018 with a five-game losing streak to end the season. Seth Luttrell at North Texas, Neil Brown, Troy's head coach, and Brett Venables have all been linked to the job. Brett Venables, likely the favorite right now given his close connections to Texas Tech Athletic Director Kirby Hogan, but I'm not sure if he's going to want to leave. Clemson, he's already kind of come out as lukewarm on the prospect given that his son is a freshman at Clemson. So Seth Latrell likely the favor right now to end up getting that job. And like I said earlier, I think Neil Brown's probably going to end up at Louisville if he goes anywhere. Then in the most surprising news so far, Lovey Smith was given a two-year extension by Illinois Athletic Director Jason Whitman. Lovey Smith is 9-27 in three years with his initial six-year year going through 2021. With the two years, he's now signed through 2023. The Illini were 4-8 in 2018 and 2-7 and in conference play. Really a bit of a concern for them seeing this as improvement enough to give him an extension. But they must have either tested the waters and gotten not back the response they were looking for. Or they really do believe in Lovey Smith's long-term trajectory with this program. To, in fairness, they did lose their best offensive weapon in Mike Dudek to another career-ending injury this year. Excuse me, season-ending injury this year but still not what I'd be looking for in a head coach in terms of program trajectory and especially questionable to whether this warrants an extension, given that, like I said, he still had three years remaining on his deer prior to it. Then in the least surprising news for me, but the most surprising for fans of Troy, Clay Helton will be staying at USC. This follows comes following the Trojans season-ending loss to Notre Dame. The Trojans are 5-7 and seven to end the year going to miss out on a bowl game for the first time since before Pete Carroll's tenure there and a very disappointing season for USC fans. However, on Sunday, USC Athletic Director Lynn Swan released a statement saying that he's fully committed to Helton and that he will return as head coach in 2019. Really, like I said in the story that I wrote last and published last week, not really a surprise for me to see that Helton is coming back. Remember, he received a five-year contract extension in the offseason He's signed through the 2023 season. His buyout is somewhere between $15 and $25 million. And offensive coordinator T. Martin, as well as defensive coordinator, as well as defensive coordinator, as well as the Trojans defensive coordinator, also received contract extensions in the offseason. When you're factoring in all of those Contract extensions, Clancy Pendergast being the Trojans defensive coordinator. When you're factoring in all of those contract extensions and their bias, you're probably looking at somewhere between 20 and $30 million. USC really not in a position to make that kind of change, barring absolute assistance from a number of key and crucial boosters. And then, like I've said before, even if they were to hire Helton, 
who do you replace him with? Certainly Jeff Brom would be a guy that I'd love to see coach the Trojans, but I don't see him leaving Purdue, especially if he's not willing to even consider the prospect of returning to his alma mater at Louisville. So then looking at some of the other coaches out there, really not anyone that makes complete sense for the Trojans. Certainly some interesting names, but nobody who has a real connection to the program and that I think could overnight catapult the Trojans back to the rightful place among the top of the college football hierarchy. So that's it. Not really much of a surprise there, but Helton will be back in 2019. It'll be really interesting to see how the Trojan season impacts USC's recruiting. It's never really hard to get kids to sign with USC, but if they were to have, let's say, a less than top 25 recruiting class this year, then finally some traction might be made towards getting Helton out of Troy, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. And like I said, he will be back in 2019. Speaking of Clay Helton, his brother Tyson Helton is going to replace Mike Sanford at Western Kentucky. Helton previously was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Hilltoppers under Jeff Brom. Since then, he was Tennessee's offensive coordinator and quarterback coach this year, and he also spent some time at USC under his older brother. Under Jeff Brom, the Hilltoppers went 30-10 and 10 in three seasons. No surprise for them to go back to someone of that lineage to look to move the program back to its rightful place following Sanford's two years at the helm there. Interesting to see what happens with Tyson Helton going forward, especially with his brother under such fire right now. But that is the most recent college coaching carousel news. Certainly we'll find out some more things following the bowl season. But for right now, those are the biggest immediate changes in football. So that moves us along to basketball games for the week. This weekend, very interesting for basketball, given that we have the ACC Big Ten Championship, Big Ten Challenge. Tomorrow, Michigan State taking on Louisville. Michigan State favored by five. They're coming off wins over UCLA and Texas, wins that really showed the potential for Tom Izzo's team. Louisville, on the other hand, coming off losses to Tennessee and Marquette. Marquette, not really a team that I value too much, especially with their losses to Indiana and their other loss of the season. Certainly, Chris Mack is a good coach, but it's going to take time to rebuild this program following the state that it was in after the fallout leading to Rick Pitino's departure there. I think the Spartans get the job done. Then on Wednesday, we have Indiana taken on Duke. Duke fared by 14 and a half. Indiana coming off a loss to Arkansas. Duke coming off a loss to Gonzaga. And in that Arkansas game, Indiana... Very much struggling with Arkansas's press. Definitely had some easy turnovers there for the Razorbacks. I think Duke, looking at the tape from that Gonzaga game, even with them having depth issues, is going to show some more pressure, full-court pressure going forward. They run a similar 1-2-2 zone press like as the Razorbacks do. And with their length and athleticism, that is going to give a lot of teams troubles. I don't see the Blue Devils not caught not covering the spread in this game. And even with Romeo Langford being one of the better point guards in college basketball right now, he does not have the assistance needed to combat the Blue Devils' talented trio of freshmen. Then, in a game that's a little bit under the radar, Nevada traveling to Loyola Chicago take on the Ramblers. Loyola Chicago coming off a loss to Boston College, 78-66. to Nevada, on the other hand, beating Mass. Really, this is going to be the first test for this Nevada team, but I think their height and that big lineup gets the job done for the Wolfpack. Then on Wednesday, 
We've got Syracuse traveling to Ohio State. Syracuse beating Colgate 77 to 56. Although remember they did have those two losses in the 2K Empire Classic to UConn and Oregon. Ohio State, on the other hand, beating Cleveland State 89-62. They're still a bit of a mystery. Really haven't been tested this year. However, I think they get the job done. Even with all the returning talent from the Syracuse team, I just don't see it in Jim Beheim's team this year. Then, UVA traveling to Maryland in a DMV showdown. UVA beating Wisconsin 53-46. They're undefeated so far. Maryland beating Marshall 104-67. Both teams undefeated. Looking at UVA, though, they certainly struggled a little more than expected in that Dayton game. Like I said earlier, Dayton's team was able to show some of the holes in that zone. And with Maryland's speed and athleticism, I think they have what it takes to pull off the upset here, and the Terrapins will get the job done. Then Purdue traveling to Florida State. Purdue coming off a loss to Virginia Tech. Florida State coming off a loss to Villanova. Still, though, with this Purdue team, definitely a good team, but they did lose a lot from last year. I think Florida State's speed is the difference maker here, and the Seminoles get the job done. Then UNC traveling to Michigan. UNC coming off a victory over UCLA, although they did suffer a, a upset loss to Texas in the Las Vegas Invitational. Michigan, on the other hand, 6-0. This is a different Michigan team than we've been used to seeing under Jim Bayline. They like to get out on tradition. They like to play fast, and I think they have the horses to get the job done, and the Wolverines will get the job done here. So that moves us along to college football. This weekend, we have the Power 5 Championship Games. I know. I can't believe it. They're already here. Starting off Friday night, we have the Pac-12 Championship Game. Utah taking on Washington. Washington is favored by five points. Both teams 9-3 going into this game. Utah coming off a victory over BYU, 35-27. Washington beating Wazoo. Washington previously beat Utah 21-7 early in the season. However, the real difference here is going to be the Utes entering this game without starting quarterback Tyler Huntley or starting running back Zach Moss. Without those guys in a game where they were only able to put up 7 points on the Huskies' defense, I don't see the Utes pulling off the upset here, and that's why the Huskies will win this game likely punching their ticket to go to the big excuse me to the Rose Bowl where they're likely take on either Michigan or Ohio State. Then on Saturday we've got Texas taking on Oklahoma. Oklahoma favored by seven and a half. These teams met earlier in the year in the Red River shootout with Texas winning 48 to 45. Texas nine and three coming off a 24-17 victory over Kansas. Oklahoma on the other hand 11 and one beating Washington, West Virginia 59 to 56. Certainly the Big 12's only hopes of making the playoffs at this point. But looking at these two teams, offensively, definitely the Sooners appear to be a little bit better. A little bit of a more well-rounded offense, even with the loss of Rodney Anderson early in the season. Kennedy Brooks has filled in fantastically, done a great job. Murray continues to be arguably to attack Valoa's biggest threat to his winning the Heisman. But Texas, on the other hand, Certainly a better defense than they get credit for. Sam Erlinger and co. continuing to find a way to get the job done, even if he's been banged up a little bit this season. And with the Sooners, they already replaced defensive coordinator Mike Stoops, bringing in Ruffing McNeil to have him replace him. But even that change really hasn't meant much for the Sooners defense. They continue to allow just too many points. And I think the Longhorns here are going to be able to pull off the victory 
in what should be a very fun game to watch, even if it is another high-scoring affair and potentially involves a two-point conversion. So I've got the Longhorns pulling off the upset there. Then in the SEC championship game, Alabama taking on Georgia in Atlanta. Alabama favored by 13 points here. They're undefeated, coming off a victory over Auburn in the Iron Bowl, 52-21. to Georgia 11-1, beating Georgia Tech 45-21. to Really, the common opponent here that shows you the difference between these two teams is LSU. Against LSU, the Bulldogs lost 36-16. to Really, their offense looked completely discombobulated and out of sorts. Nothing was really working for them. Conversely, the Crimson Tide blanking the Tigers, winning 29-0. I think Nick Saban and co. gets the job done here, punches their ticket to being the number one seed in the college football playoff. Then in the ACC championship game, we've got Clemson taking on Pitt. Clemson favored by 26 points. Yes, that is right, 26 points. Clemson's undefeated. They're 12-0, coming off a 56-35 victory over South Carolina to end their season. The only real knock here being for the Tigers, some comments that were dismissive of Davo Sweener arguably running up the score against the Gamecocks. Pitt, on the other hand, 7-5, coming off a loss to Miami, 24-3. Pitt very much has been a team of ups and downs this year. The common opponent though that really shows us the difference is Syracuse. While Pitt won 44-37 in overtime, Clemson won 27-23, but they did so without starting quarterback But they did so without starting quarterback Trevor Lawrence for most of the game, following him suffering a neck injury on a scramble. Even without him, they were still able to get the job done, following Chase Bryce filling in and leading the Tigers to a victory. Certainly, you would think that the Tigers get the job done here, finishing their season undefeated and punching their ticket to the college football playoff. And then finally, in the Big Ten championship game, We've got Northwestern taking on Ohio State. Ohio State favored by two touchdowns there. Northwestern's 8-4 coming off a 24-16 victory over Illinois. They're on a three-game win streak. Conversely, Ohio State's 11-1. They beat a very good Michigan team, 62-39 here. An upset victory for Urban Meyer's team. Certainly the common denominator being Purdue. Northwestern beating a 31-27. Conversely, Ohio State looking completely out of sorts, losing 49-20. And I think this game has the best opportunity of being an upset this weekend given that this is a northwestern team that has faced a lot of adversity this year they entered the season with starting quarterback clayton thurston still recovering from acl surgery following his injury in last season's music city bowl for northwestern also they lost starting rusher jeremy larkin to a career-ending injury but still patch fitzgerald's team has persevered and if anybody is going to pull off the upset here, I think it is this Northwestern team. However, I just think Ohio State has the horses here to get this job done, even if it's a closer than expected game. But this really, the outcome and final score here really could mean the difference between Ohio State or Oklahoma getting that fourth spot in the playoff, given that if Texas and Oklahoma ends up being a shootout and Ohio State and Northwestern ends up being closer than expected, Maybe still the shootout keeps Oklahoma in and Ohio State out, which means for the second year in a row, the Buckeyes will not be in the college football playoff. So that's it for me today, guys. Another huge weekend of college sports ahead of us. A lot to get into. I'll be back on Wednesday for Group of Five Wednesday to give you my final Heisman Trophy rankings of the regular season. Furthermore, to talk about the remaining 
college basketball games of the week, another number of huge games this week, and then preview those group of five college football championship games this weekend. So that's for me today, guys. You guys have a great day, and we'll be back on Wednesday for Group of Five Wednesday. See you soon. This is Inside You, the College Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Roddick, signing out. Bye.